The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and 2, 1 through 5. Morning, everybody. Great to see you. You all look awesome. Anybody wearing their new uh, outfit they got for Christmas? All right. You didn't really like it, did you? That's all right. Okay. Welcome, uh, Wells Falls Church and those watching online, whatever time zone you're in or uh, climate that you might be in that might be warmer than where we are uh, right here. It's awesome to look at the analytics and see people from all over the place. Thanks, Mike, for reading the scripture here and for Lisa and Jen who read over at West Falls Church. We appreciate that uh, very much. We're beginning a series on Proverbs. We're kicking off 2018 with some wisdom from above, which is, um, well, it's just really kind of cool. We're going to unpack what, what wisdom really means. We're going to kind of define the word a little bit and then how, how it begins, how we get it. That's what we're going to do. We'll start that process for the next three weeks. We're just going to dive fully into it. So Proverbs, they're, you know, they're short statements, right? They're short statements that are packed with all kinds of meaning. So in Proverbs chapter 16, it says, and see if you can finish this for me, pride goeth before a... Very good. But we have a lot that are just in our, 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 our own culture, in our own world, that are very familiar to us. And I thought I'd do some shout-outs. So if you're watching in front of a screen, shout back at the screen the end of this here, West Falls Church. Please do. All right, you ready? Here we go. I'll start it. You end it with the final word. Two wrongs don't make a? Very good. The pen is mightier than the? Yes. When the going gets tough, the tough get? Excellent. Better late than? <laughs> Keep your enemies close and your enemies? Very good. You got a little soft at the end, but that's okay. It's all right. It's cold outside. Anyway, all right. Why is wisdom so very important? Here's the thing. This is what I want to say. What God has gripped my heart with for 2018 for Grace Community Church is this. I mean, it's just, this has been, this has been in the works for months now, for months now. But here's what I've been gripped with. Proverbs 27, 12. Wise people see trouble coming and get out of the way. Hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? Wise people see trouble coming and get out of its way. I'd like you to do something with me. Can you just try this? All right. Close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see yourself. It's Monday, December the 31st, 2018. It's on a Monday this year, 2018. It's a Monday. There you're sitting all by yourself and you're reviewing this past year and you've realized as you're reviewing it that there were times when normally you would have just kept going, but this year, not, not this year, you saw trouble coming and you stepped out of its way and it just feels so great because God opened your eyes to his godly wisdom. Okay, open your eyes. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to end the year and say, you know what? Not this year. 
This year I saw trouble coming and I stepped out of its way. How many times have we said to ourselves, I should have seen that coming. Man, I should have seen that coming. How many times have you said about other people, they should have seen that coming. They should have seen that coming. Everybody else saw it coming, right? They didn't see it coming. We want to. Here's wisdom. Wisdom is all about reducing or eliminating the times that we have to say that phrase, I should have seen it coming. They should have seen it coming, right? Wisdom. That's how important wisdom really is, all right? The purpose of wisdom is to greatly reduce the times that we have to say that phrase. Everybody benefits from wisdom. Everybody benefits from wisdom. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a swing in our backyard. My daughter was about five years old at that time. We had this swing in the backyard, a big old tree, and it had a big limb that kind of stretched across most of the backyard. And we put this rope over it because the limb was so high. That means the rope was really, really long. And our backyard has a slight, there's a slight hill to it. So you could stand at the top of that hill and put the, put, put your child on a swing. We had a little, little seat on the swing. Put them on that seat on that swing. And oh my goodness, because it was so long and because of the hill, you could just, I mean, they would be going a hundred miles an hour. You know, and, and then on the other end, on the other end, because of the hill and the length of the rope and everything, they're like 20, 25 feet up in the air. It was awesome. And I got to push, you know, everybody, my whole family. I couldn't, nobody, nobody was big enough to push me. And I didn't want to ask another dad to come over and push me. I wouldn't remember. <laughs> That'd be a little weird, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't get to experience it. I had to experience it through them. And it was so cool. And um, there was a day I was out there, and oh my gosh, I was just really cranking it up. Just, you know, and Gracie would just fly. I'm telling you, she was at least 25 feet in the air, just really rolling. And the proverb says that wisdom actually calls to us. It like calls us. It's, hey! you know, calls to us. And I can remember this one particular day. I mean, I was just so caught up in the emotion of the moment because it's so cool because I never had a swing like this as a kid. It was so cool. I was so caught up in the emotion. And I remember this wisdom was calling me from our back porch. It was like, John. It sounded just like my wife. John. Take it easy. Slow down. Stop. You know, this kind of thing. And in that moment, I couldn't see why. I mean, we used to do this day after day after day. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing could go wrong. The kids were having fun. Hire daddy, hire daddy. And, and so this day, Gracie's at the top. I'm, I'm telling you, every bit of 25 feet in the air, she slipped off the seat of the swing. And in that moment, Everything became totally clear to me. What I could not see before, how anything could go wrong, all of a sudden, how could I not see that everything is going to go wrong here? Why didn't I not see it coming? The emotion of the moment just blinded me. Now, thank goodness we avoided disaster because Gracie is so strong. She just grabbed onto those ropes, even though the, 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 the seat like flipped way up, and she just hanging there, you know? I'm like, oh, that was it for that swing. For that swing, I didn't, I didn't, I, I might have pushed them once or twice after that, but they weren't 25 feet in the air. That was over. And the crazy thing is, we had a big storm just a few weeks after that, and it took that limb out, and we've never had that swing back. Our emotions get the better of us, and uh, we can't see it coming. And all of a sudden, with total clarity, we can see. Benefit, uh, everybody benefits. Every, every, everybody benefits from wisdom. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Because everybody benefits from wisdom, because when somebody does something unwise, that person seldom suffers alone, right? 
When somebody does something unwise, that person seldom suffers alone. Here's one of the wisest things you could possibly do. I want to encourage you to text, email, share from our website, share from our Facebook page, Three Weeks on Wisdom. Share it with your family, your friends, your neighbors. Just say, you don't have to be a church person. My goodness, we're church people. Don't go to church. That Everybody benefits from wisdom when we all act wiser. I want to encourage you to do something wise as you start the year out. Share it. It'll be something for all of us to really, really, really think about. Okay? All right. What is wisdom? I am glad that you asked. What exactly is wisdom? In the Bible, Psalms and Proverbs are next door neighbors. And we're going to focus on the book of Proverbs. Here's the thing. Psalms and Proverbs are extremely different. The book of Psalms for years confused me because it's unfiltered emotional, e- emotional feelings about life. I mean, like one minute in the Psalms, the person writing the Psalm will be just on the top of the mountains like, it's so great. Oh, God, you're just awesome. And there's dancing and there's singing and there's hugging and there's kissing. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And then the very next verse would be like, where are you, God? Are you ever going to show up? You're never here. And there's no dancing. There's no kissing. There's no singing. There's no nothing. And I couldn't handle that. I was like, what is this? It's all out of, it's all out. I tell Krista all the time when I go shopping with her, I don't get the women's sections. Like, there's no pattern to the way the clothes are. You know I mean, should have this, it's, it's all one, just, bah, I can't get, and that was the way Psalms was to me. I didn't understand it. It's just not making sense, okay? And then I realized it's unfiltered emotions, and I, it's so great because we all feel, we all feel that way at some, there's a line in Psalms, says, I just want to break the teeth of my enemy. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to admit that, but yes, that's how I feel sometimes. You know what I'm saying? It's unfiltered feelings and emotions, and it soothes us to know that somebody else is going through the emotional highs and lows that we are. That is not Proverbs, okay? Just to be utterly clear, that is is not the book of Proverbs. Actually, what the book of Proverbs calls us to do is to turn emotion way down, turn emotion way down, and to fire up our intellects. What Proverbs is basically calling us to, what its message is, is that we have never thought enough about stuff. We have never bothered to think enough. And so when Jesus says that famous phrase, we should love God with our minds, this is it. Here we are. The train has pulled into the station. This is where we fire up our mental capabilities and we're like, think, 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 till smoke is coming out of our ears. If the book of Psalms is like a healing balm, like a soothing oil to us, then the book of Proverbs is like smelling salt that somebody shakes in front of your nose. And you're like, whoa, oh my gosh, you're fully alert. It causes us to think and to think hard and to think very, very deeply. There's the difference between Psalms and Proverbs, okay? Now, we get caught up in emotion. What Proverbs is telling us to is we need to turn, turn, turn the emotion down and to turn, turn, turn the intellect up. Hasn't that happened to you? Haven't you got an emotion about something and you've done something and you say, oh gosh, I should have seen that coming. Why did I do that? Right? Maybe it was over a product. You really, really, really had to have certain product. Right? There's something in life I want. There's, a, there's something, there's a what I want to get. There's a what I want to get. And man, you just went after it. And now you got it. You got it. And you got the payment that goes with it. Right? You got the burden that goes with it. You got the problems. You got the clutter that goes with it. And now you're not even sure where, where it is. Right? But you, you, you got it. So for, some of us, it's a pro- for some of us, it's a person. You really had to get this person in your life, right? I got to, man, oh man, I got to get this person. You really wanted to date them. And boy, you dated them. <laughs> and you're like, why am I dating this person? For some, I got I to get, I'm going to marry this person. I'm just so fired up. I got to marry this person. Oh, you married. 
You married all right. And you're like saying, what was I thinking? And everybody was saying, what were you thinking? Right? We're going to get into that in week three, all those people around us who say, what were you thinking? Right? The date turns to disaster and the marriage turns into misery. So wisdom. We learn a lot about wisdom from Proverbs chapter one and all the synonyms that are given to us there. Prudence, insight, discernment, understand. There's a number of synonyms and they help us to give us a clearer picture of exactly what wisdom is. So here's what the synonyms mean. Somebody who's highly skilled, highly skilled, like a highly skilled executive or a highly skilled surgeon or a highly skilled sailor or a highly skilled pilot or a highly skilled builder. Somebody who's exceptionally skilled at doing something. Somebody who builds something really, really well. Steve Jobs was fanatical about the way things are built. Even the stuff that we don't see in his products. I don't care. I want even the stuff that nobody sees to be really, I want people to touch it and say, ooh, <laughs> that, that, and there's a difference. There is a difference in the way it's built. I remember when I was in my late teens, we lived across the street from a BMW dealership. And I went over there one night and the, car was, the cars were unlocked. So I got in a car. I never drove the car. I just got in and I closed the door. And when I closed it, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. There's something different about this product. It is so much nicer. You know the difference between that. You know the difference between something that's high quality and something that not, right? You know the difference between fast food and a really great restaurant, don't you? I hope you do. We had friends of ours that took us to this super incredible restaurant a number of years ago. It's out here in the valley, uh, a little in at Washington. Took us there for their anniversary. What great friends. It was awesome. It was incredible. It was the greatest dining experience of my life. Everything about it, the food, the atmosphere, it was off the charts incredible. At the end, they brought us this chocolate. I tell you, as I ate this chocolate, I wanted to fall down on the floor and just start crying because... <laughs> I knew this would be the last time I would ever experience quality like this. Do you know what I'm talking? You know the difference between high quality and low quality. Wisdom. That's wisdom. Wisdom is living the high quality life that God wants for you and you want for you. Make sense? That's wisdom. To be able to navigate that. The word, the synonyms are given here are for like a, like a detective. Like Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes walks into a room and he sees, I don't see anything, right? But Sherlock Holmes, walks, he sees all these clues, all these options, all these fine details. That's wisdom. That's what the word, that's a synonym. To see the fine details. I miss it, but wisdom helps us to see it, right? Wouldn't it be great to have that? Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of wisdom where we see those things and then we know what to do with those things. Wisdom can help us. Wisdom encompasses everybody, kind of morality. Wisdom encompasses the rights and the wrongs, sins, right? Morals, the thou shouts and the thou. Of course it encompasses, but it's more than that. Solomon, who had the law of God, who told him the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots, he had that, he had that, and he says, God, I need what? I need, and now you had the Bible. What do you, why do you need wisdom? You already have the Bible. I need wisdom. So it's morale, morals, we will see that, but it's, it's, it's even more. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this. You're trying to decide between two different jobs. Neither one of them is a sin to take. But one, you're going to be really excited that you took it, and one, you're going to be really miserable. And morals isn't going to be able to help you. Wisdom will help you with that. You try to decide which person to date. Neither one of them is going to be a sin. That's questionable. But 
Neither one's a sin. Wisdom can help you with that. It can help you with where to live and what degree to get, what job to take. Wisdom helps us with those kind of things. That's why wisdom is absolutely amazing and it should never, never, never be ignored. It should be on our high priority list. Wisdom is incredible. And when it is ignored, disaster strikes. Let me tell you one last story and we're getting into kind of uh, unpacking what this, how we get wisdom. So David's son Solomon, who wrote many of the Proverbs, so when David was king, he had a major breakdown in his family. Like things went really bad in his family. And his son Absalom kind of came into the city and ran, because he was going to kill his dad, with an army and ran his dad out of Jerusalem. And now his dad, King David, greatest king of Israel, is on the run. He's with his men, right? And they're just running and they're, oh, they're crying and it's so sad. And Absalom, who just hates his dad, has come in and he's taken over. And so David had a guy, one of his wise men, his name was Hushai. Hushai, very smart guy, very wise guy, came to David. David says, no, 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 Hushai, no, no. I want you to go back. Go to Absalom. Tell him that you're committed to Absalom. Tell him you're totally, totally committed. And I want you to just get in there and mess with him. Like mess things up. Thwart everything that all the other wise people are telling him, right? Just do it. Do it for me. So he goes back. So Absalom has his wise guy. His name is Ahithophel. And he's going to give him wisdom. And here comes Hushai. And Hushai says, I'm fully committed to you, David. I'm fully committed to you. I'm just here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. God's put you in place. I'm here to serve you. Okay. So Ahithophel says, this is what you do. Oh, yeah? Okay. Absalom's like, yeah, bring it. What do I do right now? Ahithophel says, go. Your father is weary. Your father is tired. Her, the men are just like totally dejected and depressed. Pounce, pounce, pounce. Get him right now. Chase him down. Kill him. That's exactly what he should have done. And Absalom says, okay, very good, Ahithophel. Hushai, what should I do? And Hushai says, well, Ahithophel is a very wise person. But for right now... Right now, you shouldn't do that because you know your dad. He spent most of his life on the run from King Saul. He knows what it's like to live in the wilderness and to fight, man. He fights like a dog, right? And his men are just so, they're so brave-hearted. Do not go after him. Don't go after him now. Wait. And so Absalom says, you know what? Hushai, you're very wise, but I'm going with, Ahithophel, you're very wise, but I'm going with Hushai. And you know what Ahithophel did? Because his wisdom was rejected. That was the wise plan that should have been taken. He says, we're told this. He goes home, puts his house in order, everybody, and hangs himself. Do you know why he did? Because he knew that once wisdom is ignored, disaster will shortly follow. And he only knew it was a matter of time that David would be back and disaster would strike. We cannot ignore wisdom, and we all, we all need it. Okay, so how do we get wisdom? Fear, fear. We just read it, Proverbs 1.7, right? Same thing is said in Proverbs 9.10. The beginning of wisdom is fear. The beginning of knowledge is fear, fear of God. Now, I said earlier, the Psalms confused me forever. I didn't get the unfiltered emotion. This whole thing, like wisdom is based on this starting point of fear. I don't get it. I got to be honest with you because it doesn't make sense. So in other words, in order for me to be wise, everybody, I have to kind of like be shaking and cowering in a corner and scared like, oh God, don't hit me, right? I have to kind of recoil from God. That doesn't make sense to me. And so this has messed me up for years. What exactly is biblical fear? 
Fear in the book of Proverbs is not an emotional response. It's an intellectual one. Fear in the book of Proverbs is not an emotional response. Oh, it's an intellectual one. It's where we think. We think very, very deeply. And I had never really thought deeply enough about what biblical fear actually is. So what exactly is it? So the thing is that we see people who fear God in the Bible, and they're not, they're not recoiling from God. They're actually clinging to God. We see them, they're actually uh, happy and they're blessed and they're free and they're living lives of purpose and they're joyful. So there's only one fill in the blank on the back of your bullet today and that's all. Fear means first. Fear means first and that's the only thing that fear means. It means what is first in your life. What is your life revolving around? What's first in importance? What's first in influence in your life? What exactly, what exactly is it? Psalm 112 says this, Blessed are those who fear the Lord and who find great delight in His commands. So there's delight and there's blessing. And what is it? They're following God's commands. They're following God's will and ways. In other words, God is the Son. He is the center. And they are revolving around God because that's what matters the most to them. So fear is just what's first, and it means what's most important to us. It means what's most influential to us. That's all it means. How about this? Psalm 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow His ways. They're joyful. They're not cowering in a corner, ducking because they don't want to get hit. They're not doing that at all. They're not, they're not doing that. It's not an emotional response. It leads to emotion. But the response is intellectual that God is the center, He is the Son, and my life revolves around God. He's first in importance, first in influence, and as a result of that, I'm feeling joy. And as a result of that, I'm feeling purpose. I'm feeling delighted. Well, I've given you a number of other uh, verses that are there that you can, you can read through at your own leisure on the back of your bulletin. But let's just unpack this for the next couple of seconds, and then I want to close out by saying um, just a few other words about what it means to put Christ first. Fear means first. A person's life is a revolving around whatever their center is. It's their center sun. Everything they do is ordered around something. Everything we do is ordered around whatever we fear, we fear the most. Psychologists tell us this, that if we can figure out, everybody, what our greatest fear is, then we will figure out what really matters the most to us. So when you, when you think chronically about something all the time, right, and that strikes fear in you, you're worried about losing that thing, then that's the thing that means the most to you. It could be money. It could be security. You're right. It could be respect. It could be your kids. What, okay, there's a long list of things that it could be. But it's whatever dominates you. It's whatever dominates you, whatever you fear the most. Psychologists, if you'll figure out your greatest fear, you'll figure out what matters the most to you. It is your center. For a person who fears God, it means that God matters the most. The person who follows God's word, when God is at the center, they will follow God and his word and his commands even when they disagree with it because he's the center. They're centered on God. When we're centering our lives on something else, we say, well, forget that. <laughs> Why would I do that? Well, it's because God's not the center. Intellectually speaking, we are centered on something. You and I are all centered on something. What is that something? Whatever that something is, is what we fear the most. And what Proverbs is about, and when it says we need to fear God, God's first in influence and importance, what it's basically saying is 
We, it's the difference between this. Are you trying to get something from God or are you trying to get God? If God is the center, you're trying to get to God. God is it. If God's not the center, you're trying to get something from God. God, I will pray. God, I will go to church. God, I will read the Bible. But if X doesn't happen, or if X does happen, then all bets are off. You follow me? So if you figure out what X is for you, when you figure out X, to fill in the blank, that is what you fear the most. That's what's most important to you. We do it all the time. It's very, very, very natural. Paul talks about it a lot in Romans, right? We use God to get what we want. Well, that, that's, that's the difference between God being the center, being the most important, and us using God to get something from God. Chris and I talked to somebody a number of years ago, and this person grew up in church, really involved in church, like went to church multiple days a week. I mean, they're bought in, right? They Bible studies, reading the Bible, serving in church all the time. Their theology, very orthodox, very orthodox. And so throughout the conversation, I mean, we were there because this person said they no longer believed in God. And what, what struck, struck me is really weird is, is that their theology was so sound. And when I would even push back on some different stuff, they're like, oh, no. They were so strong about their belief about God. I said, wait a minute. I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I don't. And it was confusing me. And I finally said, was there a time when something happened or something that you like said, hey, I don't believe in God anymore? Because obviously they totally believed in God. Okay. They said, yeah, I prayed for years and years and years and years about something and I didn't get it. And when I didn't get it, I said, God, I don't believe you anymore. This is natural. This is very human. This is clearly the book of Psalms. This is how we re I react this way. I want something. I use God to get something. I do. I use God to get something. You, I'm sure, probably do it at times. You're better than me, but I'm sure at times maybe you do as well. There's the difference between God being the center, being something that we fear the most, of first importance that we're revolving around, our greatest fear, and us having something else and just using God to get that, what we really, really want. Is that making sense? I hope it is because that's what it means. Fear just means first. It's first of whatever is most important to you in influence and importance. Now, I named this message today, When in Rome. How does that, how does that end? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Exactly. Do as the Romans do. So you see the world through Roman eyes. It adjusts the way you think the way you plan and what you do. And what Proverbs is saying is that everything should be filtered through the eyes of God because God is at the center of everything. Your thoughts, your planning, everything starts with everything starts everything starts with God. That's all it means to fear God. It doesn't mean cowering in a corner. It doesn't mean recoiling, it doesn't mean shaking and quivering. It doesn't mean that God is an outrageous parent shaking his finger at us. That's not what it means in the scripture. At all. It's not an emotional response. It's an intellectual response. It's very deeply thought out. What is the thing that matters the most? Now, we're going to spend the next three weeks really looking at some cool stuff in the Scripture, and I think that you'll be thrilled that you actually participate in this because, for me, this was an eye-opener. Oh, my gosh. This is what fear is, and then this is how it grows? This is how I get it? Because I always thought, okay, yeah, you know, toughen up, John. Fear God. Make God number one. It's not how it happens. It doesn't happen because you had all the willpower and discipline in the world and you just gritted your teeth and said, mm, God's number one. There's another way that fear grows in our lives. And it's absolutely fat. I think you'll be thrilled. And so I hope that you'll come back for that. But I do need to close uh, this morning uh, with something. I want to speak, if I can, in these final few moments to church-going 
Christians. Are there any church-going Christians in the room? One, two, three. There's about ten of us here. Excellent. Excellent. I want to speak to, I'm going to speak very, very fast because you know this stuff already. You're ch- so, so if you're new or today's your first day, it's like, what in the world is this guy talking about? So we are a church for people who don't go to church. The last time we did a survey of this, of this body of people here at West Falls and online, what well, we realized this is 40% of the people who come to Grace self-classify as a non-church goer, which we think is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. But I'm going to go really fast right now, if I can. Okay? Somebody's excited up there too. So I'm going to go really fast because I'm going to quote, because you already know this. Right? And if you're a non-churchgoer, which there's a bunch of us in this room that are non-churchgoers, okay, you can just sit back and enjoy and try to, try to keep up with all this that I am saying. All right? Uh, what fires Jesus up? What fires Jesus up? What should a church-going Christian, what should their life revolve around? It should really revolve around Jesus Christ. You already know this. It should revolve around Jesus Christ and it should revolve around what is most important to him and what fires him up. Like, that's our life. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He must increase and I must decrease. It's all about him, right? That, that's what it means to be a church-going follower of Jesus Christ. We all know this. You don't even have to nod your head. We're all in agreement on that. This is just sound theology. This is just how it works. So I could choose many different scripture. Let's just choose one chapter, Luke 15. What fires Jesus Christ up in Luke chapter 15? Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. You know it. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, right? So he goes out. You got this one sheep. You got a whole church full of sheep. There's 99 of them. And you got the one, the one foolish little sheep, non-church going sheep, right? He's out in the over. And what? you're going to leave all of us here? You're going to leave the 99 to go get that one non-churchgoer? Yep, I sure am. Now, Jesus is using an extreme example to grab our attention, isn't he? What is he trying to compress upon us? He's trying to tell us what fires him up, what fires him up. He's fired up about reaching people who are outside of his flock. He's fired up about people who don't go to church. He's fired up about people who are not in a relationship with him. That's what he's fired up. And he's willing to leave the 99 who are to find that one. That's how fired. And you know what? He goes a step further. He says, you know what? And when I bring that sheep back, you know what we do? We have a blowout, mega, like Super Bowl. Like if the Redskins ever won the Super Bowl again, right? You know what I'm saying? If that ever happened, we would shut this city down for a month. You know what I'm I say this would be unbelievable. Jesus would come back the next day after that happened, okay? I'm so disgusted, but I'm saying it's a party. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, it's a party. He says, our party, we're going to have a throw down because that is how important it is, a throw out party. Jesus is constantly, in the scripture, in the Greek, churchgoer, let's throw some Greek at you. In the Greek, when it says the people who don't go to church were around Jesus, what it actually says in the Greek is they were always around Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. Like they went to his parties and they invited him to, to theirs. They loved it. Tremendously attracted to be around Jesus all the time. Who did that upset? Who did it upset? You're right. Upset the church people. So where, how's, the church, how's the church doing in the United States of America? Let's talk about how the church is doing in the United States. Only 35% of churches are growing in the United States of America. Only 35%. Small number. The majority of churches in America are in the decline. 35% of the churches are growing. Now, ready for this? These, num- these statistics tell us something that's very important. And I know you're really smart. So you're going to track with this. But they're telling us something that's really important to a church-going Christian. Big time. You ready? Of this minority of churches that are growing... 
because the vast majority are in decline. Of the 35% are going, 93% of that 35% number, 93% of it are growing because Christians are going to the next great church to go to and they just want to hang out with other Christians. They're not growing because people are coming to... The vast majority of the few churches that are growing in the United States of America are growing because that's where all the Christians go. And they just love to hang out, gang up on each other and have a big love fest, right? Because it's cool. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. It's not like it's a sin. It's not like it's a sin. It's just natural. Help me with this proverb. Birds of a feather... Thank you very much. It's just natural. What Jesus says, though, is that we need to swim upstream. What Jesus says is that we need to do something totally unnatural, right? We need to swim upstream, and we need to follow him around what fires him up. The Greek word for church is, don't let me down, churchgoers. You've been at church all your life. Somebody said it over there, really softly, like you weren't really sure of the answer. Ecclesia. It's the Greek word ecclesia. What does it mean? Called out ones. Well, there it is, right in our name. Out. Not in. Out. Called out. It's right in our name. Church. We're called out. Called out to what? Called to look outward. Called to look outward. I've had church-going Christians in a moment of... It's so beautiful when it really does happen, though. Because, you know, people say stuff, but you know that's not really what they think. And then all of a sudden, in a moment of weakness, they really just say it. Have you ever had that? And you're like, oh, finally, we get to the truth. I have people, I've had people over the years... Cause we've been around 17 years now. People say, church-going Christians. You know, I just need to be at a church that's about me. I need to be about Christians. Do you know of a good church that I could, I've had people say this. I have people make an appointment at the office and say, hey, uh, I'm here because I was wondering, could you help me find a good church that's really about Christians? This is awesome. This is an awesome job. I need it to be about me. What's right there in our names. If you're a church-going Christian, then you've heard this many times before. The church is the only institution on the face of the planet that exists for its non-members. You've heard that many times because you're a church-going Christian, so you know this. The church is the only institution on the face of the planet that exists for its non-members. Now, look, uh, in the majority of churches in the United States, in the vast majority, this is what the numbers are telling us. Here's the statistics. This is what it's telling us. In the vast majority of churches in the United States of, uh, United States of America, you have church people who are kind of fired up about going to the church if they're in that 35%. The others are just like dying, Right? And, and the church people are fired up about going in there. And the non-church people don't really want to. We're like, hey, come on, come on, non-church goer, be a part of it. And they're not really fired up. We have the exact opposite. Grace Community Church has the exact opposite. You go out and you tell a person who does not go to church, hey, why don't you join me in my church? We're church people, church, church. people don't go to church. See what they say. See what look comes on their face. I had a guy at a Christmas Eve service, a non-church goer. He stopped me right back there. I was walking in. It was time for me to take the stage. I'm like, hey, man, I got to go. And he couldn't stop. He says, this is a church. People don't go to church. This is so awesome. This is cool. This is for me. This is for me. Here I am. Give me a big kiss, right? I am here. I am here. We did a series a few years ago, and we had two sisters show up. Oh, my. We did a series called Hate Church with a question mark. Hate Church with a question mark, right? They came in because they heard we were a church. People go to church, and man, they did not. Oh, they hated church. And I'll never forget, they stood in the lobby, and they're like, they, was like, they were like singing in perfect harmony. They said, we're here. We hate. They had their postcard with, we're here. We hate church, and we're so glad to be here. 
you don't have to worry about firing up the non-churchgoer to come to grace. What you have to worry about is trying to fire up the churchgoer. So we have the exact opposite. I met a guy next step a few weeks ago. He said, I don't go to church. Where'd you hear about grace? I heard about it. Well, I heard about it in a bar. <laughs> I was in a bar and somebody said, there's a church being going to church. And you're like, that's me. Here I am. Here I am. Okay. So let me say this in, uh, in conclusion. We are a church for people who don't go to church. There's two churches in there. There's two churches. The second church is for the people who don't go. The first church is the people who do. We are a church, churchgoers, for people who don't go to church. You will never accomplish this, which is what really fires up Jesus, unless you have a bunch of fired-up church-going Christians who are centering their lives on Jesus Christ to create this. Does that make sense? And so the goal in this little talk here at the beginning of the year is to choose the wise path for a church-going Christian. Studies show us this. Numbers show us this. The vast, vast majority of church-going Christians say they struggle with chronic spiritual apathy. I think I have at least one answer as to why. Because we have become experts at creating churches for church people, and that does not fire up Jesus Christ. Look, 3% of churches in America are growing because people are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The vast majority of them growing because Christians are just changing churches isn't really the Great Commission. Could you agree with that? Could you agree that that's not what Jesus had in mind? I mean, he could have called it the small commission. I got a real small commission for you because 3% is a small, small number, right? So we've got to be fired up about what Jesus is fired up about. It's the road less traveled. And I have three things for you to think about. Church-going Christian, I have three things for you to think about. Number one, when they looked at those 3% of churches that are growing, this is what they realized. Here's what the minority does, the 3% that are growing because people are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They realize that the church-going Christians in those churches had a list of names, and they prayed for them all the time by name, friends, families, neighbors, coworkers, et cetera, et cetera, and they prayed. So here's the challenge to you. And I know you're going to be excited about this because you're a church-going Christian, and so you're fired up about what Jesus is fired up about. Make a list. I have a long list of names. I pray almost every single day by name for people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what the minority, the ones who are fulfilling the Great Commission are actually doing. I challenge you to do the same, number one. Number two, plan. Pray, plan. Plan, plan for what? Plan. We exist to create an environment with a bunch of fired-up church-going Christians who are fired up about what Jesus is fired up about that create an environment that attracts people who don't go to church. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to serve. We don't just want you to come in and hang out and leave. Look, here's the wrong way to serve at Grace. Say, oh, Grace needs my help. All right. Here's the way to help. I am fired up about what Jesus Christ is fired up. Look out, I'm coming in because I'm going to make this thing happen because I want to create an environment that attracts. Hey, everybody, I tell you right now, please do this experiment. Ask people to come to grace. Ask churchgoers to come to grace and tell them we're a church being one to church. Ask non-churchgoers to come to grace, say we're a church being one to church, and watch the two different reactions. The reaction over here, I've seen every time. I don't think so. It's not for me. The reaction over here, the non-churchgoer, oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. I'd love to go. Try it out. Try it out. But become a part. And the last thing is, is just spread the word. Pray, plan, and promote it. It is the wise path. It is the spiritually wise path to thriving, to becoming everything that Jesus Christ wants us to be. So, I hope you enjoyed that. It's a lot of numbers, and uh, 
I can just feel the church going Christians right now. You're just, you're just on the edge of your seat with excitement. You just feel so great about this. Awesome. Anyway, um, God has something special for us in 2018. I'm convinced of that. And I need you to know this. I pray for everybody in this room. Pray for everybody at West Falls Church and everybody watching online. And my prayer all year long for months leading up to this day and for the rest of this year is that God would bless you with incredible wisdom that you would see trouble coming this year and you would step out of its path. If the Redskins won the Super Bowl, it would not make me feel any better if 10 people came to me and said, John, in 2018 I saw trouble coming. I got out of its path. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful, amazing word. I thank you, God, for this book of Proverbs that challenges us to fire up our intellectual capacities. Lord, give us an understanding of what it means to really fear you in a biblical sense. Bless us with wisdom this year so that we could end the year and we could see all the different times we stepped out of trouble's path. Father, may your hand be upon every single person here in this room. Lord, would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? God, would you lift up your countenance upon them and grant them peace both now and forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. In your holy name, amen.